This is a Federal News Network podcast. A persistent set of challenges for the armed services have to do with inequalities between men and women. Sometimes it takes a bad form, such as sexual assault and harassment. Sometimes it's financial. With what's going on on a couple of fronts this week, Federal News Network's Scott Massioni and Jared Serbu. Jared, let's start with you. The Defense Secretary, Lloyd Austin, has ordered some right-now things to do to try to curb this persistent problem they've had of sexual harassment and assault. Yeah, and Secretary Austin, when he first took the job, promised to make this a first order of business. He says he's not really satisfied with what he's gotten back from the military services on, on, on their action plans to tackle this problem so far. So in addition to standing up a 90-day independent review commission, which we already knew was going to happen, he also directed several specific steps on Friday. One of them is ordering the military services to each stand up their own dedicated violence prevention workforces. Not a lot of detail on exactly what they, that would entail, but but the implication is this would be a new cadre of individuals who would have violence prevention within the military services as their sole full-time job. Some of these functions do exist uh, between the services, but they tend to be collateral duties for, for certain people. So that's one of the three um, one of the three issues that they're tackling, what he calls a violence prevention community of practice. A second one would be uh, he wants a deep dive from each of the services on what they're already doing to comply with the initiatives that DOD and Congress have enacted or ordered over the years. And there have been several as DOD has, has tried to sort of placate some lawmakers' desire to take the issue of sexual assault out of the military chain of command. I mean, just to give you one example from last year, there was a provision in the NDAA that was called a safe-to-report provision, which basically the, the intent of that is to say, if you're a victim of sexual assault, we don't want you to be afraid to come forward with that just because you happen to have also been guilty of a much more minor offense, let's say underage drinking or something like that, during the time that that very serious crime happened. So it would create sort of a safe harbor for that. Those are the kinds of things that he wants to see if the military services are actually implementing. And then a third is to to create new reporting on, on what he calls high-risk installations. We don't know exactly when that report is going to come out, but as soon as feasible. He wants a continuously reported list of both bases and individual units that um, the numbers tend to show there is a higher incidence of sexual assault and sexual harassment so that DOD can keep uh, closer tabs on those individual geographic uh, locations. Yeah, at some point, all of these high-level initiatives have to get down to the ground level where these assaults happen, and they happen in specific locations and specific times. And so whatever they have as a philosophy up high really has to trickle down very, very far in kind of a thorough way. I think that's his challenge. I think that's exactly right, and he calls that out specifically in the memo. He wants to know what implementation actually looks like on the ground, and I think that's also why you might actually see some traction out of this effort to track by at the installation level, because he, he makes clear in there that he wants these quarterly reports, not just a one-time piece of paper, but quarterly reports so that the department can track if things are getting better under a focused spotlight on an installation-by-installation basis. And that's Federal News Network's Jared Serbu. And Scott, this idea of the sexual assault adjudication being taken out of the military chain of command, that idea in Congress is not dead yet, though, is it? No, it's actually gaining some serious traction, especially now that the Democrats are in charge. We have two of the top lawmakers who, who oversee military personnel issues saying that they're seriously considering an independent prosecutor to hang, handle sex crimes within the military. And what that does is it takes it out of the chain of command. 
one of the things that's making this really salient right now is that there was a TikTok video that went viral over the, well, over TikTok. It was of a Marine woman who whose alleged assaulter had signed a guilty plea, had gone through a number of disciplinary boards and was about to get kicked out of the military until the commanding officer decided that they were going to eventually retain that Marine. Now, uh, the military is looking into this currently. We don't know, uh, you know how much of this is true or how much of this is, is happening at this point. But it's something that that really brings up the issue of uh, the chain of command being in charge when they're trying to uh, you know, make justice something uh, that is, is happening and make sure that women Marines feel safe and women, women in the military feel safe uh, on base and, and working with their peers. So the two lawmakers that I alluded to were uh, Jack Reed, who's the chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, and Jackie Spear, who's been championing this issue for quite some time now. And uh, Jackie Spear actually put an amendment in the NDAA last year that would fully take out the sexual assaults prosecutions uh, from the chain of command. They're going to see if they can do it again this year. Uh, Just for a little bit of context, we've had a 3% increase in reported sexual assaults from 2018 to 2019. That totaled more than 6,200 incidents. However, DOD estimates that 40% of assaults aren't even reported. So you're getting up in the 20,000 or so range, and that's just assaults alone, not even including harassment, uh, definitely something that's affecting women in the military and men, uh, and something that Lloyd Austin obviously is is taking care to look after. And there's another issue for women in the military, perhaps not as grave, but somehow annoying, and that is what it costs them in out-of-pocket uniform costs versus men. That's a strange one. I didn't realize they paid anything ever for a uniform out of pocket. Yeah, this is one of those things that uh, it's one of those hidden costs of being a woman. Sometimes they call it a pink tax. And the GAO, the government's watchdog, came out with a report basically saying that women are paying like four times more for their replacement um, uh, uniforms than men are. And that's partly because in the originally when you first enlist in the military, you're given a set of of uniforms and then after that you need to replace certain things each year you get an annual stipend to replace those things but they have to be under a um a certain military use right so for example uh an all-weather coat for some services would not be considered uh, for military use maybe because you could wear it somewhere else something like that now women have to spend a lot more money on things like this and that's because they have to buy bras or uh, certain hats. And one of the other things I should mention is that whenever the military decides to change a uniform, that also comes out of the pocket of military service members. So some of the uh, money disparities that we've seen, the Army issues 15 pieces of clothing for both genders that it does not reimburse for. However, the cost for women is about $650. The cost for men for replacements, about $382. It's a pretty big change. The, the Navy's actually pretty bigger. Uh, that one's $350 for women and 181 for men. Uh, something that, you know, when the military is really trying to retain women, uh, when you're spending a lot of your paycheck on just staying in your job, that's something that's not going to be very helpful for them. And just to clarify, the 300 or 180 or $600 it costs, there is an allowance to cover that, but it doesn't cover it all. Is that the issue? 
This comes from something that has to be out of pocket. So those pieces of clothing are not reimbursable through the allowance that you have. Certain things would be reimbursable, but these per, uh, items of clothing are not reimbursable because they don't have a maybe 100% military use to them. Got it. So dress blues, for example, would be covered, but just an ordinary coat that you could wear on deck or ashore on leave would not be. Exactly. Athletic socks are a great example. And still no more free Marlboros in those MREs. Federal News Network, Scott Mascioni and Jared Serbu. Be sure to check out their latest DOD Reporter's Notebook, now online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.